Black people love the band Paramore. We're all aware of it. It's like an accepted truth. But it made me wonder, what other seemingly random things do large groups of Black people love? So in an effort to help Black people feel more seen through community, I compiled a list of other things groups of Black people overwhelmingly like and started my podcast called Black People Love Paramore. Every episode, I talk about one thing that groups of Black people like that mainstream media doesn't necessarily associate with Black people, but we know we like. Episode topics so far include anime, astrology, Tony Hawk, Ariana Grande, Twitter, Ginger Ale, Cash App, and a whole lot more. If that sounds like you, check it out. It's called Black People Love Paramore, and you can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. What is up, y'all? This is Scarlett, a.k.a. Scardi B, a.k.a. your resident emo historian. And join me as I unpack the history of Fall Out Boy and hip hop. Look, y'all, there is a lot to cover in this limited run podcast. So strap on in, cause sugar, we're going in. Ew, what's up, y'all? Welcome back to Sugar. We're going in. And this is the first episode back from the release and just giving y'all my my brainchild in, in form of a podcast. And I'm just so look, y'all, I speak two languages and I, I don't have the words to express the gratitude for the reviews, the people who have reached out, who have DM'd me, messaged me, called me about listening to this. I got this beautiful text being like, thank you. Like, thank you from myself as an adult and thank you for me as a, from me as a teenager, like really bringing together these two worlds and, and making me and this experience feel so seen. And that's what I do it for y'all. And this shit has gone inter fucking national okay y'all fucking did that so if, if y'all don't mind i'm just gonna give a, a few quick location shout outs because mm. so from new york city queens to los angeles california we got brussels belgium we got edmonton canada we got joao monlavade brazil uruguay la plata argentina costa rica Perth, Australia, Nelson, New Zealand, just to name a few. Y'all did that. And if you are listening from there, thank you so much. You have no clue how much it feel, you know, how it feels to see this connecting with people. And you know what? Ludacris said it would be like this. Finally, hoes in many, many area codes. Can I get an email? But seriously, y'all, keep sharing this podcast, keep liking my TikToks, my reels, my tweets, because I have no clue what I'm doing and I won't stop to ask for help because I am a stubborn ass Dominican. So welcome back to Corrections Corner. Corrections Corner is not a fun place to be. It's a funny place to be. But let me just kick it off. Alan Ferguson, the music video director, made nine videos for Fall Out Boy, not seven. The other two were literally sitting in the back of the page I was reading, and I could not be fucking bothered to look. So it's nine videos, not seven. And you know what? The neurodivergency really be diverging when you're nervous and recording, and it happens. It keeps things spicy. And me humble, obviously. But look, y'all, I went to art school. Don't make me count numbers unless it's money. And also, finally, the woman dancer in Dance Dance, the one that was next to Travi, 
nothing, nada. Like I, I learned how to lurk the internet from Pete Wentz and like I could, I could not find anything and I usually can find anything. I'm like CSI, FBI and everything in between when I get on the internet and I could not find a motherfucking call sheet, nothing, nothing on IMDb. So if you are a internet sleuth, please help me in the quest to find this woman that was in a dance dance video. I love her and she is my idol. So we covered 2004, the start of Decay Dance, and we did 2005, which was from Under the Cork Tree. Now, I loved, loved, loved going through 2005 because I remember everything just so vividly. Like some kids hear like bachata in the mornings when it's time to like clean on Saturdays or Sundays, if you know, you know, but my mom that was the one time that I would get to put on my music because if not I was not doing shit and I remember my from under the cork tree cd getting put in that like rotating cd player um and I would clean and I would read the lyrics (laughs) at the same time um but this this experience is not singular because obviously it touched a ton of lives and from under the cork tree the success of it landed Fall Out Boy, a Grammy nomination for Best New Artist. Now, they did not win, but they'll always be Best New Artist in my heart, in my fart. They were nominated again in 2018 and didn't get it. But I'm starting to think that maybe being me being a part of like the Recording Academy now is just a long con to nominate and announce Fall Out Boy on stage. Now, stay with me. The world will never know, but... I'm a lot closer than 2005 Scarlet could have ever imagined after that devastating preteen loss of their, you know, best new artist Grammy. She's never recovered. She is me. I is her. But you got this, baby. I love y'all. And now we are in 2006. What a delicious year, you guys, because this is the year that we get gym class heroes as cruel as school children. Oh, my God. When I tell you that gym class heroes just changed the game for me, like before I was even like crazy into the roots like that. I mean, I'm from Philly, so like. I have to, I gotta, but like they were my original that. Like I, my brain exploded hearing paper cuts for the first time, makeout club. Y'all, I was on LimeWire downloading this stuff. And yes, it sounded like I, it, I downloaded it through a like megaphone and was listening to it through a potato, but it, the music was so goddamn good. And I just remember immediately being obsessed with Travi and with everything that came of it it was just so sonically beautiful and you know Travi really talks about yo like I didn't want it to be a concept album and it totally didn't come off like that but the rollout the way that the names of the tracks are like school periods it was such a beautiful start to finish and I remember having the video for shoot down the stars on my iPod video so me watching it on that three inch by two inch screen and and literally just sobbing like between that and right on probably still to this day some of my favorite songs 
But, 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 but before I get too far into that, we're going to rewind, 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 because you know I'm your context queen. This was also the time that Patrick Stump was working with Gym Class Heroes. He produced the album As Cruel As School Children. So I'm imagining the recording happened around 2005 when From Under the Courtship came out, which is absolutely wild, bonkers, crazy, because I'm sure they were incredibly busy but he makes time for what he loves and i really appreciate that y'all before we get any further i I have a confession to make (laughs) this is actually a patrick stump stamp podcast Uh -uh. now you're fucking stuck here listening i'm sorry you had to find out like this and i know you're shocked flabbergasted but this whole concept of sugar we're going in was mostly inspired by wanting to give patrick his flowers for all that he's done with gym class heroes and beyond that's altered a lot of my interests moving forward i mean i still remember hearing cupid's chokled for the first time and that hook is still in my head 17 years later Funny enough, when I posted about this podcast even happening, I had someone drop a comment. I think it was Finestro, and he was like, Patrick Stump is a problem. And I fucking agree, y'all. So all the love to him. I think, again, the man just thinks different, and I absolutely adore him. And as a producer... He started off as a little bit of a reluctant producer. So I pulled this article. It is Producer's Corner from Performing Songwriter 2008 Magazine. This article by Howard Massey that we'll talk about now and again a little bit later goes, hey, the lead singer does not go, hey. Lead singer and guitarist of Fall Out Boy seems almost surprised at the degree of success he's achieved in the producer's share. Although he's been described by a bandmate as a total mad scientist. Now, y'all, that was Pete. They could just say Pete. Patrick Stump never wanted to put records together. E. And then this is Patrick. At first, I really didn't think that production was something I wanted to do, he explains. Earnestly. I love that they put earnestly. The man's so real. But I found that I loved it. And I only fell into it because I am a multi-instrumentalist. Oh, my God. That was such a mouthful. He continues... And having some type or some kind of control over every instrument appealed to me. Little surprise then that some of his role models include Prince and Brian Eno, as well as Neil Avron and Kenneth Babyface Edmonds, two veterans who produced on Fall Out Boy's last two studio albums. Yes, we'll be talking about Babyface in 2007. Relax. So... That's just a little bit about how he got his um, production career on and like what he was thinking when he was first starting this. But I give it up to him because I think a lot of being in the industry is finding out what you're good at. And sometimes it's out of necessity. Um, And when you can grow out of necessity and actually really grow to like something, um, I think that's a really beautiful thing. Um, But Patrick has a, a pretty musical background, so he 
does he did hip hop, you know, but he was really into jazz, but he was in a punk band. And what I really like about his stuff is that like he does a lot of sequencing that you like can't do live, but then also plays like almost like this role of musical director to what it would sound like in real life and 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 how to bring that to life, which I love because another favorite musical director of mine, I mean two of them, you know, Adam Blackstone as well as Man Man from here in Philly are doing really incredible stuff it's a beautiful art form to hear because you never you never go to a concert and want to hear what's on the record like you want to experience like a new a new level to it and that's that's actually why I really like Chromio too so if you haven't checked out Chromio check it out so we have Patrick, the reluctant producer, um, has always been a drummer in bands. Um, it, he never started as a singer, which always absolutely shakes everyone to the core. Um, so he's always been the drummer in bands, which plays obviously a huge part in producing and creating beats. And apparently he spent two weeks two in a reggae band playing bass. My Lord Jesus, what I would do to see, hear, experience that are a lot. But we're going to kick it right into Patrick's hip hop history. There was a Hype Man podcast again in 2011. It's not online. Don't try to find it. I found it because Lord Jesus blessed me. Just kidding. It was 3 a.m. I found it somewhere. I had to download it. But this podcast really dove into his you know, love of hip hop and what really lights him up about it but a few notes that i took he said that my sister used to work at emg and then sony are you a nepo baby i'm kidding i'm kidding he's not he's not apparently his sister just had a ton of like box sets and they were just all stored in the basement like the ones that she didn't want because when you work at a label you just get a bunch of you know extras and just like gifts and like promo packs whatever and that's where he found hip-hop there was like a sugar hill box set and like a tribe called quest like anthology box set and he goes if she liked box sets more i might have not gotten into hip-hop which is funny as hell and then when asked you know what spoke to you about hip-hop and these box sets and he said i come from it at two directions right so my mom was very lyrical she taught me about lyrics and my dad was very about the music um patrick's dad is a musician um gets talked about a little bit in the article that i'm about to hit next so i'll keep that for that but old school hip-hop and and what he was listening to sampled a lot and as a drummer by trade i feel like that definitely spoke to him and just had him thinking again different about music so when he got into lyrics, this was really, you know, the the Midnight Marauders tribe called Quest Time. And I actually fought on if I wanted to bring this up. But Patrick was very, very kind on Twitter in like 2011. And he would chat with fans. And of course, I thought I was in Almost Famous and I really took full advantage it's a pattern in my life, but he was so kind. And I remember I asked back in May of 2011 about some rap albums that he was especially keen on. And he goes, I can rap like every word to most deafs, black on both sides and tribes, midnight marauders. It, that was backed the fuck up because in an April 2014 interview by Joe Basso for Music Radar, the number one website for musicians. Sorry, that's so funny. But he specifically lists like 
10, like 10 of the records that changed my life and includes a really, really good take on most deaths, black on both sides. So the thing instantly, okay, this is Patrick in the interview, by the way. So the thing that instantly got me about hip hop were a tribe called Quest and De La Soul. I like it when the focus was on lyrical wordplay, when there was awareness of the culture that came before you. Coming into the late 90s and early 2000s with that kind of appreciation for hip hop, black on both sides was like an explosion to me. If there was such a thing as backpacker hip hop music, this was the best album ever in that way. It's a little crazy that Most Def isn't so well known as an MC anymore. I think everybody thinks of him or knows of him. He's an actor and he's a great actor as well, uh, he continues. But he's one of those guys that who is just unfairly talented. But man, is this record good. I respect the hell of anybody who can craft a pop song and make you think. He's got a lot of songs like that on this record, and I know every word to it. So there you go. I I really love that interview. And like he types and talks back to you the same exact way that he speaks. So I just could completely see him just going absolutely off and this Journalist is being like, okay, well, this is all we can use right now. So back to Twitter, I wrote back to the most deaf tweet asking if he'd ever like perform, you know, like these these raps. And he goes, I think me actually rapping wouldn't come off the way I'd mean it to respectfully. I've written a lot of raps, but I doubt I will ever perform them. And you know what? I understand. But one thing about me, you got to give me my credit, my flowers, because a bitch had foresight. OK, I was really out here asking the important questions. Finally, all I got to say about him rapping, unlock the vault, boo. I need this Patrick Stump ghostwriter moment to pop off in this very moment, y'all. He is going to make this non-existent music career of mine a dream. I will finally be the Scardi B I dreamed to be because of Patrick. So a homegirl's looking for a ghostwriter. I'm kidding. I'm not. But I'll take what I can get, hon. Give me a rap or two or five. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But, you know, I'll, I'll take what I can get, hun. Give me a rap or two or five. Anyway, so amazing. This take on most deaths, Black on Black and Tribe Called Quest, Midnight Marauders from Patrick. And then there's this article from 2008 on the New York Times by the byline, John, oh my God, John Karamanica. Oh, my God. Why did I not try this? John Karamanica, honestly, leave it in. Leave it in. He writes he writes the people as Mr. Wentz and Mr. Stump. So, like, prepare for the funniest fucking reading of it because I I could not. I thought it was so gentleman of them to do this. But listen to this article real quick. John says, this circumstance, naturally an accident. To this day, Mr. Stump is modest about his talent. I sing, this is Patrick, I sing because Pete wanted me to, he said. I sing because Pete saw in me a singer. When Mr. Stump auditioned for Fall Out Boy, it was to be a drummer. And he says, I don't ever, I, I don't ever remember singing for anybody until I was in a band, he said. It was something you did very privately. John continues that he gleaned that from his father, David, a sometimes a sometime folk singer with a large genre spanning record collection. Even though the elder stump gave a performing long before Patrick was born, Patrick would still catch him singing the occasional song around the house. 
Mr. Stump's father also provided a cultural and moral template that he thoroughly soaked up. Patrico's civil rights was huge, was a huge thing in my family, he recalled. It almost took the place of religion as far as morality, ethics, things, and all that. God, thank you. You're a good one, Mr. Stomp. Patrick continues that I never really felt like the front man type. Um, Mr. Stomp, John continues, who is perhaps the least visible lead singer of any popular band, said later that evening um, at the Midtown Hotel where the night before he had celebrated Barack Obama's victory with a bottle of champagne alone. When he speaks, he worries the shock of hair that hangs down in front of his left ear, running his fingers over it repeatedly. I had no clue what the fuck he meant by that, but I I saw it. I understand it. Patrick goes, I got really lucky in Pete. He's such a personality that I don't have to be a character, really. It's selfish that I let him get thrust into that, but it was awesome for me. Patrick ends up concluding this with, I don't think Pete thinks of himself as a bass player, he said. I think he thinks of himself as a singer, and he sings through me. Oh, Lord, who's cutting the onions? I, y'all, when I first read... When I first read that, I... John then wraps up with Mr. Wentz insists that Mr. Stump has been that all along. I think people will remember the immense ideas that Patrick had. He's definitely a lottery ticket. I agree, Pete. And it's really those immense ideas that Patrick had and that he executed that supporting him in spreading all that knowledge and you know love that he had for production and music and art and doing that by producing other artists the article ends with patrick a quote actually from greta from the hush sound yo shout out to the hush sound like vines we interwine is one of the craziest albums i've ever heard but greta goes patrick's strongest skill as a producer is having a great sense of melody where the focus where there's a focus on certain lyrics and and where they should be um he doesn't really engineer anything it doesn't matter if you if you know how to set up a microphone the only thing that matters to him is that you have a great song all these rave reviews and just like mental mantras when going into producing are also supported by this 2008 interview by Howard Massey in the Performing Songwriter Magazine, The Producer's Corner. Mr. Massey, I'm just going to start saying Mr. Everything. Howard Massey talks to Patrick about production specifically and some of his takes on it. So he starts with Stump chatted with us recently between running errands in his Chicago neighborhood. Shifting gears effortlessly, he shared his thoughts on the art and craft of making records in the 21st century and, interestingly enough, citing film references as often as the audio ones. Um, Does a future in Hollywood await Patrick Stump? Only time will tell. And it did. And I love that for him. Um, He describes himself as a garage band nerd, and he trusts his engineers to do the engineering, leaving him free to really get to the nitty gritty and the heart and soul of a song. Um, As I also sit on garage band, sucking the ever living soul out of me just to record this one track. So snaps for you, boo. 
Howard Massey asks, what do you see as the main role of a producer? And Patrick responds that it depends because producing is all about assessing the situation. I think it's a total fallacy to have one style as a producer and expect artists to meld to that. I've only done a few records at this point, but each has been a completely different experience. Some of the records I've produced have a lot of me playing on them or even writing with the band. And there are other projects where I'm really not a musical producer. I am more emotionally guiding the band, trying to point them in one direction, you know, to help everybody get going. I've learned that there's so much that so much of it is psychology. I don't play games with artists, but I've met a number of producers who take that attitude. He also continues with, I made a conscious decision to stay out of engineering. That is a different job, period. The good engineers I know have spent their whole lives developing that skill. It would be arrogant for me to come in and say, I know how things wind and I know how they need to sound. I trust my engineer to be good enough to know whether what I'm saying makes sense or not. I want everyone involved to have plenty of artistic liberty and to feel like they're contributing in real time. Howard then asks, do you spend a lot of time in pre-production with your artists or do you prefer to jump right in so that things stay fresh? Patrick goes, I generally look for things to be spontaneous and feel as good as possible, but it really depends on the project and artists. That one thing about pre-production is that if everyone's on their game, you can really just fucking skip it and press record. He didn't say fucking skip it. He said just skip it and press record. But I, I... I felt that sentence. So pre-production for me, Patrick, doesn't necessarily mean hammering out the arrangement of a song. It means more about hammering out the artist so they're in a mind frame to give me and themselves the music that they want to make. That's one of my biggest challenges, looking at what an artist is shooting for and comparing it to what they're actually giving. Lord, I mean, as someone who works with artists now as a full adult, I mean, I completely understand this so wholeheartedly. Like it is when you're in a studio, it is very much like the Maslow's like hierarchy of needs. Like you need to have shelter, a good vibe, like the right people around you, like mental security, like emotional security, physical security, because you're about to be real fucking vulnerable. You guys like people go into the studio and it's 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 therapy y'all like there are people who go in there to sing about their dreams their nightmares their traumas their wins their losses so I just completely understand where it's like no matter how good a song you think you have if you're not in the right mental space you're not you're you're not getting that across and having someone to be there and give you functional feedback that you can use and that you trust um, really makes all the difference. So I really give it up to him um, for making such a conscious decision that the the emotional and, and mental have to be there in order for anything else to take flight. Patrick then goes on to say that unless I believe they can give me a strong song, there is no point in working with them. I'd say that my biggest problem, I say that's like my biggest problem beforehand. It's true that there have been situations where I've written with an artist and I'm 
that I'm producing or even written for the artist. But in all cases, it's to support their existing songwriting acumen. Basically, he's like, they brought a really solid skeleton that I'm really just adding on to and not just creating in real time and hoping that it's in their voice because it's never really the same. Howard goes on to ask, do you feel like you can produce any kind of artist regardless of genre? And Patrick goes, I do. Depending on the song and artist, uh, musicians have common experiences no matter what genre they work in. I've heard hip hop artists say the same thing as metal artists. It's a shame when a producer is genre specific because it limits them. I like music, period. And so I think there's something valid to every genre of music. That's not to say they're both there aren't both like horrible and valid examples in every genre. But I think that, you know, that you should afford every artist that you work with with a great amount of respect, no matter their age, achievements, genres. And the Beatles were an extreme example of what you could accomplish in the studio because they had unlimited resources and great creativity. But even with unlimited resources, sometimes it's going to be that one room mic. Sometimes it's going to be that one demo. Sometimes it's that first recording is the best that you'll get. And sometimes mic placement isn't important if the feel is right. Ultimately, you can't lose sight of the fact that the music is the most important thing. Beautifully put, Mr. Stump. Y'all, with that, we are going to take a break. And in part two, we'll pick up not with Patrick Stump, not with Patrick Martin Von Stump, but P. Steezy, the producer, and his work with Gym Class Heroes on the album As Cruel as School Children. So, y'all, I just left you off with a little, you know, just a little bit on 2006 and just setting up context for Patrick producing career um, because next week baby we are doing gym class heroes as cruel as school children we'll hear back from pete uh pete and travi have a cute 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 little moment in this interview that they did that i'll break down but then we'll talk about the album itself and all your favorite songs on it so Thank y'all so, so much for listening again. It is totally a dream to be doing this. So if you liked what you heard, I mean, first of all, thank y'all for this is probably the longest episode yet. And I hope to keep continuing to like give y'all exactly what you want to hear. So thank y'all so much. I actually did a poll of what y'all want to be called and Shugs did really well. But I also shout out to Liz. She was like, call us like azúcar like like sugar in spanish and i said Azurquinos. like that is so cute so i appreciate y'all one more time so keep it locked right here make sure to check out the show notes for any songs and articles that i talked about here in this podcast but also find me on instagram y'all i'm at at sugar we're going in real fucking easy so i want to hear from y'all tiktok sugar we're going in dot com that's a thing so thank y'all again so much and sugar we went the fuck in 